and welcome to this episode. I'm your host, Rod Jones. In this series, I'll be bringing you news, views and interviews about the trends, the tactics, the techniques and the technologies of CX, contact centres and the broader BPO sector. This series is made possible by the generous support of Corby Speech Analytics. And my guest today on uh, Rod's Pod, Clinton Cohen. We go back a good few years, Clinton, and uh, welcome to the show. And uh, I hope uh, in this discussion, we're going to go down some really interesting avenues. There's no particular cap on time. So uh, let's uh, have a chat about who you are, the industry, your business, your view of the future. But welcome. Thank you, Rod. Super excited and uh, looking forward to the session together. Excellent. Good, good. As I tend to do in these things, Clinton, uh, let's go as far back as we can. Uh, were you born here in Johannesburg? What where, What are your origins? Where Where did you come from? Rod, proudly <laughs> South African, uh, 43 years young, uh, born and raised, lived in Johannesburg my whole life. So uh, a really good affinity to to here. Uh, my journey career went through university studying a BCom marketing degree and from a really early age got into the hospitality sector. You know, firstly coming out of school and, you know, making a few rands and cents to, you know, travel, save up to travel. And, and, and that was a good segue into what became a better part of the decade of my life, finding a career in the hospitality sector. And uh, expand on that when you say hospitality sector, expand on that because that's what I find interesting. So Rod, starting in, you know, as, as any school leaver in restaurants and bars and waitering and bartending, and what I found through that process led me into kind of management roles within the restaurant hospitality sector. And I did that for a good few years, not realizing somewhere in my blood DNA, there was this core ability to be customer centric. And we'll talk mm -hmm. about those things later, but you know, with, with some form of the desire to, to serve. And in that journey, being in the restaurant sector for for quite some time through my university years working part-time then post my university with an entrepreneurial spirit founded a business together with some partners called liquid chefs which was a mobile cocktail bar and bar oh, so i remember liquid chefs okay that's uh, fascinating i didn't know you were part of that okay go expand on that so that was a little segue into my entrepreneurial world of business and understanding with an immense amount of valuable lessons learned through that journey, you know, building a business, logistics business, people business, uh, hospitality business, serving business. Um, and I did that for a, for a period of about seven years where we had eventually taken not only the business uh, on a national, but franchised globally into the US, into the UK. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, the business experience as an entrepreneur starting at 23 years young really gave me that taste for more. Um, and it was just a really wonderful experience. 
Does uh, Liquid Chef still exist, Clinton? Did you still operational today? Uh, there's okay. still a UK UK arm of the business. Mm -hmm. um, I separated from that business probably early t 2007, um, where I then moved into um, a wholesale beverage side of the hospitality sector, uh, which was again another tremendous learning, which had a retail component, a wholesale component. Um, and again, staying within that sector and learning different business acumen sense on top of that with the world of procurement um, and really gave me a good foundation to what's led me where I am today. You know, without all of it, uh, absolutely couldn't hold back on or fall back onto the experience that I learned along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Just out of interest, have you maintained uh, your craft as a mixologist? Rod, I'm happy to say I can make a moon GMT. Uh, very a favorite the uh, the world of beverages, but we got to take it in a measured approach, right? So, okay. Um, it's it's, yeah. it's always it was a great passion of mine, and 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 a lot of fun along the way. But glad to have hung up those boots and uh, you know put on a different pair of uh, sneakers that uh, okay. continue to run. But uh, we'll pick up on it maybe offline because uh, my stepson, in fact, uh, got into the mixology business in the UK some 30 years ago and is now top of his game in San Francisco and right across the States. But uh, and uh, anyway, we'll pick up on that another time and uh, you get, maybe get to meet him when he comes out in December. Brilliant. We'll have, we'll have a, a little mixology session at my bar, which has become legendary in the BPO space. So I'd uh, love to be around in that time, Rod. It would be fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Then, okay, let's segue back into all centers, contact centers, and and your journey. Uh, how did you actually get into it? I find that interesting in our industry, how people actually started out in a call center. Was it a deliberate move or was it, in most cases, I find it's a kind of a happenstance coincidence. What a wonderful story. So my my founding partners, Daniel and Yaron Shapiro, who had been in the contact center, founded the business in 2004 from a debt collection, accounts receivable, serving the domestic market. And that was an entity they were running, as I mentioned, 2004. Uh, the time frame now was about 2015. And I was, I was taking a sabbatical from the hospitality sector, working out where's my next move, where am I going to? And I'd known the brothers, Daniel and Yaron, from our schooling days. And they said, Clint, come have a look at our business. We own our contact centers. We're involved in our collections businesses, but we're getting a lot of inquiries to do everything other than collections. And we're wanting a trusted partner, safe pair of hands, entrepreneurial-minded spirit such as yourself. Come have a look at the business. And uh, the business of iContact was founded in 2015, July. I joined the business in October and, you know, spent the first three months getting my head around what is a contact center? What is it all about? And I always like to draw back to the reference of Malcolm Gladwell and the book Outliers, 
But these 10,000 miles on the contact center floor, you know, for, for instance. 10,000 hours model. Yep. 10,000 hours. And mine was the 10,000 miles on the contact center floor, right? A blank canvas, figuring out who are we as this business eye contact? What are we? What do we want to do? And really took on the role as CEO. And, you know, with a tremendous amount of support from what today is Alphabet Holdings, but Daniel Geron Duran in our business, providing me the grey matter expertise of that we're a people, data, and technology business, and really figuring out what is that path, where are we going with the business. So the first three months, as I mentioned, was just kind of figuring out what does this business look like, and I think I've spent the past eight years only really now feeling like we're at the beginning of our journey. Okay, but if we just take a back step for a while, I mean, I remember meeting Yaron and Danny, or even way back before then, it was SSD in those days, I think, wasn't it? Correct. So they've cut their teeth and know their business in terms of operations. So it, it, it would probably make very good sense for you to pick up on that and pick up on the, on the BPO and non-collections business. Absolutely. Um, and they were, they were you had good teachers in that space. Yeah. Uh, absolutely blessed, Rod. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the guys had really gone through a large part of their expertise and experience probably considered one of the top five collections businesses here in South Africa. And with that and their involvement in collections, when all this other work BPO came about, they knew they needed someone else to step in and take that with their guidance, with their mentorship, which has been a tremendous amount of hard work. But on the same hand, with our culture in our organization, a tremendous amount of fun. No, in fact, the times I have popped in and had a cup of coffee, it's a really interesting and energetic vibe that you guys have put together there. And it, I, I think I saw that way back and it endures to this day. Now, your 10,000 hours walking the floor, listening to calls, uh, driving for, what were you looking for? Um, the magic formula. Did you know what you were looking for? Or did it evolve? I think it evolved over time. You know, we really took on a lot. And when I say in the early days, it was, you know, we knew we needed to pay the bills. So we used to chase down every opportunity, every lead. And a lot of them we realized maybe wasn't such a good fit for us. But I think what, what I brought with me from my previous lifetime, my previous experience from hospitality is I always had the notion, the need to ensure that we delivered a customer-centric solution. It wasn't necessarily about what we wanted, but what is that client need? What is their requirement? And again, we did a lot of pilot projects that at the end of the time realized maybe not such a good fit from us, whether it be from the old days of AVMs and lead generation and SMSing the database to where our business has evolved today is in the niche 
specialized brand CX perspective. Whether it be outbound or inbound is, is immaterial. The majority of our business today is inbound CX, but really finding the notion, the neck, servicing international markets with the great empathy levels that we have in South Africa that we speak about so often, really just started becoming the natural fit. And it was now how do we elevate our value proposition as a business to make ourselves valuable to our customers. Did, did you start out with international business or was it all cutting your teeth on local domestic it, it was a it was a mix of both, right? I think initially it was domestically focused, but we managed to secure our first US client in 2016. So it was probably about early six days, months yeah. after I joined the business. Mm -hmm. And what happened with that international experience was not only a reference point, a case study that could stand a good testament to potential others, but really gave us the beginning part of our journey, understanding what does that international market need, not only from voice capability, but also the non-voice aspect. How do we learn this with the international market, which was very different to kind of the domestic requirements, mm. the domestic needs. Um, that transition from um, domestic into international now, um, is, is the majority of your work now international or is it balanced between? Absolutely, Rod. Now, the majority yeah. of our work is internationally focused, predominantly in North America. Um, we've done some pieces of work into Australia, a little bit into the UK, but the majority yeah. in terms of volume comes from North America. And again, still a small domestic presence, which I think is always important to have. Okay. You're, um, you're, any international work, carries with it challenges and risks, etc. What, what do you see the biggest risks associated with, um, or challenges or risks associated with going out there and securing international business? Rod, you know, I think for, for businesses, particularly entering in the BPO sector, to build up that global network of business mentors, business brokers, client opportunities has taken us the better part of eight years to get to a really good base today. But if I step back from that and, and having the tremendous support of Alphabet Holdings, if you think about it, the cost today to jump onto planes and run around the country and knock on doors and or hire a business development executive based in the United States isn't an inexpensive mm. isn't no. an inexpensive task, but more so, you know, we we're fortunate enough that a business has built organically over time. But if you don't know what the sector or the industry that you want to specialize in then all of a sudden you, you're kind of chasing everywhere and anything. And again, some of it just fought for nothing. So it's it's okay, having yeah. a crystal business plan in terms of what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And, and then I suppose it's always comes down to the operational efficiencies, the delivery excellence, and ensuring that you're able to win that first client that holds up as those reference points for client two, three, four, five, six, and seven. You touched on something there. Um, 
it's been said um, that the global BPO community fraternity is somewhat of a old school tie boys club. And there's some lovely ladies in it too, I might add. And what's your take on that? That uh, I see it that uh, you're either part of that club or you're not. Um, and uh, I get I get approached by a lot of particularly South African companies that want to be global BPO players. You know, we've got some seat capacity. How do we get an international contract? Right. And uh, you know, my starting point on that is. Guys, you've got to be part of the network. But uh, I'd be really interested to hear your view on it, your eight-year journey in building your credibility in that network and how you how you go about it. Rod, I mean, you know, being on your show humbles me. I mean, you've been in the contact center industry for, for the better part of 50 years. I still feel like I'm the new kid on the block, you know, I'm still eight years young and, you know, in the BPO, uh, boys club, girls club, tremendous women leaders today in our sector, you know, there is, it's a, as much as it's a big sector and industry, it's a really small knit community mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the legends, the legacy that has been carved by the likes of you and many others in our sector, I made it in the early part of my contact center. Yeah, my focus was how do I get into the boys club, girls club? Who do I need to meet? What are the industry bodies? How do I get a part of the sector? For multiple reasons, obviously personal, professional gain, but I think the, the the invaluable lessons that I've learned from those who have come before me, that have steered me from many of the potholes that I'm fortunate enough to have missed, because they said, hey Clint, watch this risk sector, watch this area, be careful of this, this is good business, this is bad business, you know, it's from the likes of the... I hate the word stalwart, but the legends who have led us, you know, from the early contact centers and rotary telephones to where we are with advanced AI and technology. But for me, it's been about getting out there, putting myself out there, meeting uh, the, the folk in industry and getting involved in the industry sector, industry bodies. Is that not the key word, involved? Because frequently I get operators in the sector saying, oh, I've joined this association or that association or this body or that body, but I haven't got any leads. And my response there has been like any uh, social engagement or personal engagement. You've got to work at it. It's not going to fall out of the sky. Absolutely. And I'm sure you, you know, from what you've said, that has been your your role. And I'll come on to your role in the association uh, shortly, but... uh, You've got, to, in my opinion, you've got to work those leads, got to push it through LinkedIn, through attending conferences, et cetera. Has that been your experience? Absolutely, right. If you're not going to get out there, if you're not going to participate, if you're going to expect industries and memberships and things to land things on a silver platter, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's just, you know, a little bit of rewiring that may need to happen to some folk. But, you know, as a... As an entrepreneur in business, 
the hunger, the passion, the desire to get out there, not only to let, not only to learn, but to build a business. It requires action. You got to hustle. You got to get out there. You're going to have to make it work. Got to network and, and work that turf, as they say. Yeah, but uh, you know what you've achieved over that eight years, and you know, I know from observation and watching you on LinkedIn and etc. I mean, you and your partners have invested heavily in physically engaging, going to the conferences, the events, traveling extensively, getting one-on-one -on -one with prospective customers and some of the brokers and agents. Uh, I mean, that is a not insignificant investment that you've made. Absolutely, Rod. That was mentioned earlier. But to your point mm. again, to this action point, you know, I couldn't be part of the, the boys club, girls club if I didn't if I didn't show up, if I wasn't knocking at those doors, if I wasn't at the conferences, if I wasn't at the international uh, contact center shows, um, meeting business brokers. And yes, over the you know past eight years, it's developed and matured. But to your point, it's come with investment, hard work, um, and... Uh, Somewhere along the line, a great personality where, where, you know, I'm a people's person and folk, folk enjoy company, so they tell me. Um, and it's just great to engage because for me, I always learn out of every single engagement that I have with everyone in this industry. Yeah, I, I think that's been my experience as well. And and uh, my advice to anybody in this sector is, you know, you got to get into into the network, play the game, engage, develop personal relationships and friendships. And from that comes the, the, the spin-off is good, solid, reliable business. It flows down the, flows down yeah. the channel. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And the things that don't work, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we tried a lot of things that, that didn't really take off, but, you know, I think part of an entrepreneurial spirit is to fail fast and fail forward try things don't be afraid to try them get involved with them and if they don't work that's okay move on um because you'll never know if you always stood back on the sidelines waiting watching hoping will yeah. it work won't it work you've got to get it's, involved it's not going to happen yeah um couldn't, and now, as you know i was in the uk a couple of weeks ago and presenting at a gathering of essentially a retail community uh, executives at a high, fairly high level. Uh, I went, I think, well prepared for what I thought was going to be the counter arguments to BPO to South Africa. Uh, the usual stuff, crime and corruption and uh, infrastructure and power, etc., etc. And what, what shocked me was my wake up call was the guys were almost to a man saying, Oh, but that happens everywhere in the world. But you guys happen to handle it better than most. And I was pleasantly surprised on that. And now, um, as a provider in this space, I mean, you must have hit those criticisms out there in engaging with customers. Have you found that it is a, a restraining factor to our industry, or do we make it our do we make our problems bigger than they really are? Rob, that's, I mean, those are great questions, and I think they go, you know, in 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 different directions. But if I if I just take a step back and think about 
our customers who come up with, you know, what are those concerns? What we've really seen from not only our business, but as South Africans, is that we're highly transparent. Um, maybe sometimes too transparent, but transparency is key that builds on trust, credibility, and reliability. And yes, you mentioned it, every country has their issues, uh, whether it be transport, whether it be natural disasters, whether it be power, you know, it's it's not limited to one geo. And I think where South Africa not only you know, rose to the top of that was through the COVID pandemic and, you know, the the work that was done by our industry body and sector, getting the line to the presidency, deeming our international customers bringing foreign investment into South Africa as essential services, not only won us that tremendous amount of credibility, but really then internally on the South African context, allowed the providers to continue delivering unabated with this work from home solution right we all pivoted and we all did it and we all learned our lessons for better or worse trial and tribulation but again so did the rest of the world no one knew how to do this right so now we all know how to do it what are the what are the geo the politicals every country has their 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 goods and bads i think south africans are pretty hard on ourselves um, when when things aren't as good as it potentially could be, but we're absolutely transparent, which has that trust factor, which you can't take away for anything in the world. Excellent. No, I totally agree with you on that. Um, but, you know, back to some of the challenges that uh, we might see or do see as an, as an industry. And... I had an extensive call yesterday from a, um, a European-based company looking to come to South Africa as well. Uh, not massive scale, but, you know, high-touch, high-care, boutique-style, um, looking very carefully. Yes, as you said, some of those negative things, they, 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 they take them with a pinch of salt. And, yeah, as I said, it happens everywhere. Um, but one of the concerns that has been raised, and your opinion will be valuable on this, is that whilst we do have this almost endless supply of enthusiastic, young, new agent level workers coming in through organizations and uh, like Harambe and Shadow Careers, and there are so many of them doing the amazing work in that space. So we, we've got talent at that level. We've got entrepreneurial talent and business acumen at the top end. But how do we address this middle layer? Because my concern, having audited literally hundreds of contact centers, and my opinion and your view on it would be valuable, is that because of the growth that we've experienced in the industry, we've taken agents who have got enthusiasm, they've got talent, they've got vibe, they've got empathy, they've got all sorts of things, but what they don't have is experience. And we're moving them up into this team leader, supervisor, QA roles where they've got everything else, but they don't have the experience. Um, your views on that? Rod, you, you, you're absolutely bang on there. You know, we, we as our South African contact center, 
um, with a skills master plan aiming to take our businesses as an industry sector to 775,000 jobs, you know, about 2030. I mean, that's a significant growth in an industry sector. And to your point, there's only so many agents and, and team leads or quality assurers that can start moving up based on experience. But to your point, are we able to bring over and whether it's, you know, there's tremendous effort in terms of uh, critical skills visa, bringing in foreign leadership talent into our country that can provide this mentorship to, I want to call it a junior leadership support, right? And as yeah. our, as, as the insatiable appetite for voice, non-voice, but coming into the South African context, your, your point, the likes of Harambi, Shadakaria, we, we've got this appetite to build and grow at an agent level in the skills development and training, but that middle gap remains vulnerable, it remains fragile, and it needs a lot of mentoring support and time and experience in order to support that next wave coming up. So, uh, I mean, you raised it as a critical point. I think we're feeling it all as South African BPO operators that the fragility is there and how do we support it? This uh, whole critical skills visa challenge. Now, I'm led to believe, and uh, now I'm going to ask you to wear your Bapesa hat. Um, and uh, you are on the Papesa uh, Gauteng committee, am I correct? In that? That's correct, Rod. I look after the Gauteng the uh, portfolio. So I'm led to believe that there are talks taking place between DTI, that's the Department of Trade and Industry for our international listeners, and the Department of Home Affairs that handles the critical skills visas. But one of the things I'm going to look for, and I've been asking several people in our industry space, is there a correlation between in bringing in a, an international team leader, supervisor, trainer, middle management with, with 10 or 15 years experience, is there a correlation between the number of these people that we can bring into the country to train the trainer, share their knowledge, share their skills and job creation. Um, in a discussion I had a few days ago, I had one of the operators say, give me a team leader from the UK with 15 years experience, I will create 50 new jobs. You know, that's the kind of argument that I think we need to take to government to support the case for critical skills, visas, etc. If we're going to have half a chance of getting to that five, seven hundred thousand new jobs, yeah, right. Well, I think I, I, I think it's direct. It's it's uh, there the is absolutely a correlation, but I think that the experienced leader will certainly create more than fifteen jobs in a ratio. I think it spans across the entire business, and that mentorship leadership not only creates that career pathing for agents, but has the ability to grow in the future leaders. And we definitely need more of them, right? So I'm not saying it's 100 to 100 jobs, mm -hmm. because I think it's far more than that. A leader can have so much more impact on not only their direct um, reporting lines, but 
to the extended part of the business. So bang on to your point, I mean, it's absolutely needed to assist facilitating the growth within the South African context. That aside, and, and although I see that as one of the major constraining factors, what are the other factors that will influence the outcome of that laudable target of 500? I've always said the 500,000 jobs by 2030 is my mark. You've mentioned 750. That's what's put out there, right? right? So whether yeah. we agree or not, or, you know, I, I, I think the point is, is clear is, you know, I mean, even for us to achieve the numbers of 500,000, is significant it's marvelous it's wonderful and the fact that our sector as a bpo community contact center um, sector is a fantastic place to work and can really support sustainable job creation so can we get there first and foremost absolutely what's that final number well that's out to the verdicts and out to the captors and we all got the responsibility to go out and and achieve it but in a sustainable way in a holistic way that you know from the work that's being done not only to implement it into the schooling careers or into the work readiness programs and the businesses today in south africa that need to do skills development and training when done with the right focus and the right cohort subject matter material are going to result in wonderful achievements for for the BPO sector. Okay, excellent. Um, now, the endless debate about Johannesburg, Durban versus Cape Town, um, or Cape Town and Johannesburg as contenders. And we've seen phenomenal growth, let's face it, in the Western Cape for a number of reasons. Um, are you seeing sitting as you are looking and engaging with particularly U.S. clients, is there a bias to the Western Cape for reasons other than infrastructure, labor, etc.? And conversely, what can we do in Gauteng to attract that type of business into, into our geography? Um, so Rob, I'm going to wear the two hats here because I think, you know, um, from a from a Bapesa standpoint, you know, we're going to wave the always South Africa first flag. Mm-hmm. Um, the three major metros, Johannesburg, Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, Western Cape, being our three major metros is where the three biggest growth areas. Um, Cape Town probably got on the early part of our contact center international work 20 plus years ago and has probably become the most mature region in my opinion. KwaZulu-Natal fast out of the blocks, growing strong, growing hard, amazing people, amazing operators out of that geo um, is climbing at rapid rates faster and faster. And when I sit back and look at Gauteng as a region, Johannesburg was always known as the place of gold, the economic hub of Africa, um, the biggest place of where business or labor or, you know, so when we look at Johannesburg lagging behind to potentially the likes of Western Cape or KwaZulu-Natal, 
we ask ourselves the question why why and, exactly yeah, yeah why is that and and i don't there's there's not one particular reason because i think the international market isn't necessarily dictating I want to be in this geo. They want to come to South Africa for all its great value propositions. The majority of customers that I meet, unless they clients that want to come over and settle in and spend a three, six, nine month period of time with the operators setting up and delivering, well, then again, we we know our Cape Town probably outranks everyone because who wouldn't want to be caught between the mountain and the sea and in mm. one of the most beautiful places in the world? And the winelands. Mm. And, and the wine <laughs> and all the beautiful things the region offers. But when when we think about, you know, the partnership collaboration with provincial governments, I think that's where... KZN, Western Cape have kind of started moving ahead from Gauteng. And that's not to say that we don't have relationships in Gauteng, Johannesburg with mm -hmm. province. But I think there's been quite a bit of turnover of staff, um, legacy in the departments, and it's really the onus and responsibility in terms of how do we bring the provincial relationships stronger together ah, to support our city the western cape mm. are extremely strong in their narratives and how they drive it together with the sector and support the sector and we're open for business and fortunately for myself as a bpo provider having operations in johannesburg and the western cape i'm privy to both those experiences mm. and so able to compare to the I get to see it as an operator, not necessarily just only with an industry body hat on. But again, I think there's lots of work to be done. There's lots of relationships and tenure that's needed with a deliberate focus in terms of if we're going to reach these skill master plan numbers and drives of 500,750, it's going to take everybody in the village to support the ecosystem and, to get there. And but I would suspect, particularly where we have much larger labor pools here in Gauteng. Um, now, you know, politics aside and, and provincial governments issues aside, etc. Um, yeah. Having, I think, if I remember correctly, you cut your teeth and started the operation here in Johannesburg, Gauteng. Um, if we look at it, it's your birth city, my birth city. We still have some, I suppose, uh, city patriotism, if you like. Um, your view as a employer, as an operator of the labor pools here in, in Gauteng. Now, let's leave the Western yeah. Cape and KZ out just for a moment. Yeah. One of the questions I was asked yesterday, in fact, was around, around the labor pool, which I is, as we know, it's almost an unlimited source pool. Um, yeah. But the curveball question came with languages. Do we have um, European language skills? Uh, right. I know down in the Western Cape, they've done fairly well with um, German speaking in particular, and maybe some of the other European languages. But uh, right now, I have no idea of the potential here in Kauteng for um, Let's call them European languages, in your view. 
Rob the get go, you think they're not here, but surprisingly, German, Dutch, Portuguese, French is readily available in uh, the Gauteng community. Um, to your other point, our labor pool, our talent access pool is significant in our geography being Johannesburg Gauteng. For us, the issue is never find. It's never about finding the right talent. Well, it's always about finding the right talent. It's never about do we have an issue finding talent. It's finding the right talent. The right talent. And going through the assessment processes, whether it be language, whether it be, um, you know, skill set capabilities. That's where those really uh, assessments come through, but. Going back to the original question, it is surprisingly amazing how much of the European language sits available up in this geography. And when you think historically, kind of always the Dutch Germans always landed in the Cape, right? Because we kind of envisioned that the boat never left from the Cape. But today, you know, we we more cosmopolitan up here in Gauteng um then sometimes we give a testament to and when people ask me you know maybe what are some of the differences or how do you compare johannesburg to cape town or the western cape uh or durban you know i always kind of say johannesburg's like the new york it's fast-paced it's hustle it's bustle it never sleeps it's you know constantly on the go where you know cape town's maybe you know like the west coast california a little bit more laid back laid back yeah. beautiful and I mean, those are all perceptions, right? We know in any good operations, uh, the guys who are really successful, it didn't come about from not putting in the hard work. And um, back to those European languages, and then we'll move on to something else. And um, do you see it, the potential for scale in those languages, German, French, Portuguese, or, or is it in a small, high-touch, high-care, boutique-type operations? Well, the scalability is definitely there. The question is, do you find it in one geo? Does it need to be remote and hybrid? Um, we've seen great success, um, you know, in other regions. But if you look at Gauteng, Johannesburg in particular, there is still a significant amount of language set. And again, you know, with Africa being a big feeder into South Africa with French, Portuguese being, um, you know, big numbers. The question is, are clients okay with near native um, or do they need, uh, you know, native speaking? And I think sometimes herein lies the rub, but we've seen tremendous uh, French programs scale, uh, Portuguese programs scale. Uh, and certainly in the Dutch and German. But I think as soon as you start breaking into, you know, maybe some of the Scandinavian or uh, possibly more specialized, yeah. Possibly those become a little bit more boutique, hard touch, hard care, not massive volumes. But I think the main, the main language sets are good enough to scale. And when we talk scale again, I think I've got to just bring in the caveat. What is that scale, right? Is, you know, to some people, 200 scale and, and, is, and some yeah. people, 200s, two well, we'll open the doors for 200. So He's a pilot, again, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's a pilot program. So I think it, it really does come into the quantities, but there's certainly amazing talent on our shores in South Africa. I, I totally agree with you. And uh, you know, for for purposes of this particular session today, I want to fly the, the flag for Gauteng. But in the greater scheme of things, as I did in the UK a couple of weeks ago, it is fly the BPO2SA no matter where it's put down, whether it's Western Cape or Eastern Cape, for that matter. Absolutely. Um, quick one before we wrap on this one. And I think it's also of interest to any international BPOs looking at South Africa or uh, to, of setting up shop here, or in fact, the customers placing work into our space, is the technical environment, the communications, uh, technical platforms, support, technical support, uh, digital skills. Um, how do we stand on that as an industry and as part of our value proposition to the international community? Rob, two parts of this in, in, in my mind. I think first and foremost, I think, you know, having first world technology infrastructure in our, in our perceived third world country has really, you know, put us on the forefront of that curve. Um, what I find in South Africa, and especially having the privilege of traveled internationally, you know, our technology stacks environments are certainly at the forefront compared to sometimes I've walked into, you know, other years and gone, well, you know, I can't even get a SIM card for a cell phone or, you know, how do we do this? Um, but segueing from our actual infrastructure stack connecting us globally which i think we lead a tremendous charge with is the amount of digital capability and the focus and investment that we as a country and sector are putting into the technical skill set technical expertise um, digital skills the rto has been a very core and strategic focus for us in South Africa. And I think the teams that are building it out, and I know many of them, are doing a fantastic, tremendous job in getting it there. And it is, it's about the labor market with a propensity and appetite to take on those critical skills, which support not only our sector, but every business sector in the world, that we can really deliver hard touch points, hard care, and excellent quality delivery. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I know if we look at some of the quite more very influential analyst reports, like the Ryan Strategic Advisory Report on preferred locations, um, we we appear to have slipped one slot down, and um, due to maybe lagging slightly on the digital skills side. Um, do you see the current initiatives in this space being strong enough to take us back into that number one slot um, where digital skills, analytical skills is going to be a major deciding factor as we move into this? I'm not even going to address the elephant in the room, the AI revolution. But um, this is, to me, a, a reality that we have to really put a lot of energy behind to 
I wouldn't say catch up, but to ensure that we are right up there in the number one slot again and consistently. Your view? Right, absolutely. I think the, the, the motion you made and the slip that's come is maybe due to, you know, somewhat complacency in, in, in our world where these critical digital skills have been acquired into international markets. People have come to, you know, headhunt, fetch people into their markets, be Australia, UK, US global. And I think the complacency around how deep that talent sector, you know, was, we only found out maybe, and that's what caused a slipper place, was ooh, maybe now we're a little bit thin. But what we are really fantastic at doing and the resilience that we have is identifying early on, wow, we're possibly thin in the RTO digital skills sector, we need to throw a lot of investment in order to come out the other side whole. And so, focus on that, yeah. Yeah, mm. so I think the right, the right focus is going in the right place and, and the investments are delivering on those core capabilities and skill sets. And I think it's going to put us back in a favorable position when, when the round strategic advisory uh, piece comes out the next round. Uh, we're hoping to see us slip okay. back into okay. the positive spot. Okay. And as we go for a wrap on this, uh, opinion on a couple of things. One is... Um, the wannabe BPO, the startup, the small operation, looking, maybe having some domestic work and now looking north to UK states, etc. What would be your advice be to that entrepreneur uh, in that space on how to drive to the next level? So that'd be the first wrap up question. The second one was it would be advice to our BPO operators to our BPO community on how to engage internationally. What are we short of there? So there's two parts on that. So first, last questions, right? How do we talk to the entrepreneur who's got 50 or 100 seats and says, now I want to go into the international space? Your view. Right on, on that question for me, we mentioned it earlier in the session, but I think it's about the collaboration. It's about talking to the greater community that's tried and tested it for the many years prior. There isn't one directional route that will get an entrepreneur to where they need to go. There's going to be many segues and many turns and twists. But I think it is about the collaboration. It's about showing up at the events. It's about participating. It's about getting over you know, to international markets and understand the language set. So for the, you know, South African BPO entrepreneur who's coming into it, it's about connecting with the industry bodies, getting into those events, building out those global network bases, reaching out calls to a Mr. Rod Jones and saying, Rod, what is your advice? What is your expertise? Um, and and it's to take those small steps. It's it's not a big bang approach and it's not a one size fits yeah. all because every business is gonna find their you know specialized focus that works for them. But it's not gonna be happened by sitting on your bum and waiting for the silver platter 100%. to sit on your lap. And in fact, I think it's a, a point of observation which uh, I was sharing this with some people in the UK, where their BPO operators tend to 
take their competitive stance very seriously. You don't mix. Whereas here in South Africa, I'm seeing, particularly in times of crisis, our industry just shares information and knowledge and resources and skills um, on a level which I think is unprecedented anywhere else in the world. Um, and that kind of goes into my second question, right? In terms of, you know, like what makes us successful or how do we do that is absolutely through those collaborations. I remember in those, you know, crisis call periods of what do we have yet? Every single operator, domestic, global, and otherwise who are operating out of South Africa, jumping onto call sharing best practice in terms of figuring out this thing that we all didn't understand. And it was through that learning that we all came out stronger, better together with the lights on and servicing the international markets as well as the domestic clients that we serve. There we go. Excellent. Linton, where are you going to be in 10 years from now? What what are you going to be doing in 10 years from now? Don't tell me sitting on the beach and doing nothing. But There's uh, no chance what, about that, Gerard. What, what, what still needs to be done? Really, you know, I've, I've just said now that we're eight years young in our journey as I contact and, and where will I be with 10 years? I definitely don't think we'll be starting anymore. But, you know, I certainly feel our business will be in a significantly different place. Uh, you know, whether there's in my mind, strategic global expansion to have footprints you know, in other geographies on an international, as I mentioned in the beginning, proudly South African with three operational sites here. You know, I think the road and the horizon about access to different markets and different talent pool, I think is going to grow our business over the next five years into other geographies. So really a super exciting time. Rob, the time to sit on the beach is going to be with grandkids one day for me and, uh, you know, going back to some of the mixology classes with GMTs and pina yeah. coladas. You know, I'll leave that for another time and another space in my life. But, you know, I feel like in the prime of my life now with the next, you know, 10 years ahead, mm. there's a significant amount of work to do to continue building a beautiful business that we have today, you know, and as we always say, you know our team, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards, great. And uh, it's just so delightful sharing your energy. You inspire me as well. So I can't guarantee I'll be around in 10 years to celebrate with you, but hopefully... Hang on, so you're going to have to repeat that. We're losing audio. Just hang on a sec. I'll edit that out. Okay, come again. We're going to be with you and your family in your home. I'll be gladly making and mixing the drinks with your stepson. You are putting <laughs> together. You'll be there, Rod. You're going nowhere. There you go. Excellent. Like Johnny Walker, still going strong, brother. <laughs> Clinton, thanks so much for sharing time and your insights and your, your experiences. It's been a, an adventure, I must say. Really looking forward to... Uh, of um, working with you going forward as well, supporting your initiatives, both as, as in Bapesa and uh, your greater view of bringing BPO to SA. I mean, that's something which we all proudly share in and um, the job creations and uh, the impact on our communities and our society as a whole. So uh, 
great joy and a great privilege meeting with you today and sharing this. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rod. Thank you for the privilege and the pleasure and always great connecting. Look forward to many more together. Thank you for joining this episode. I hope that you enjoyed the content. Please subscribe for more regular industry news and updates. And for more information about the remarkable Corby Speech Analytics solution and how this low-cost technology can significantly improve your contact center's performance and compliance, please email me or visit the Corby website at corby.io or you can find Corby on LinkedIn. And always remember, dial with a smile.